0: today. We're going to continue in the series in Mark chapter 2. Go to Mark chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 13 through 17 this morning. I'll talk to you more about this later on in the message, but Titus actually contacted me Thursday afternoon and said, can you preach this Sunday? And I said, let me pray about it. Yes. And uh, um, we'll tell you more about that because it ties to what God is doing in He even gave me freedom to preach in whatever I wanted or to preach in the continuation of the series where we are. And I looked at the passage and I can't wait to tell you what God is doing. I am so excited about this opportunity this morning and God has something in mind for us. And both Titus and I have been talking about that throughout the weekend and this morning as well. I pray like Pastor Carrie shared this morning as well, that you're ready To receive something from the Lord today and to hear what he has to say and give him whatever it is that he wants you to give to him. So in Mark chapter 2 verses 13 through 17, it says he, this he is Jesus, went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house this is Levi's house, we're going to see in just a second many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. As we continue in our series in the Gospel of Mark, we pick up at this story here where Jesus is there on the Sea of Galilee and he's teaching and he's doing a lot of ministry, but he sees this man, Levi, sitting at his tax booth collecting taxes. And he just simply says to him, follow me. And Levi gets up and just follows him. But in order to get what we need to get this morning, in order for God to help us grasp what it is he wants us to see, I think we need to look at Luke's account of this as well. Not just Mark's, but Luke's account and Matthew's account of this story because they add some aspects that are going to give us a fuller picture. So keep a bookmark here in Mark chapter 2 and go with me to Luke chapter 9. Now, for those of you that are waiting for it to come up on the screen... I told you, Titus asked me Thursday afternoon. The the screen guys have nothing else until the end. So you're going to have to open your Bible or iPad or cell phone or listen. I said Luke 9. I meant Luke 5. I need the screens myself. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. It says, After this, he, again Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Now look closely here. You'll see Luke brings out a couple of things. There's actually three other things. that We're going to talk about two of them for right now, one a little bit later on in the message. The first thing we see is a little bit more clearly that when Jesus comes to this house and has this feast with all these tax collectors and sinners, it actually is Levi's house, and he had actually invited all of his tax collector friends and sinner friends to come to his house to meet Jesus and to have Jesus meet them. And he's invited them, and he's put this feast on for Jesus. That's going to be important later on as well. On top of that, we see that Luke actually adds that something to what Mark had recorded, Jesus in Mark's account said that I came to call sinners, but Luke adds, I came to call sinners to repentance. And that's very important. When Jesus calls us, he doesn't just say, hey, come sinners and stay sinners. He wants sinners to come to repentance and to acknowledge their sin and to receive what he offers in salvation and forgiveness of those sins. But we need a little bit more information as well because there's something here that's going to unlock this passage that Matthew brings out. So let's go to Matthew, I mean chapter 9 this time, Matthew chapter 9, and look at verses 9 through 13, look at what Matthew's account brings out for us as well. In Matthew chapter 9, look at verses 9 through 13, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. Wait a minute, I thought his name was Levi. But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Well, now all of a sudden we get a little bit more information. We find out that this guy, Levi, is actually Matthew himself, the disciple who wrote the gospel of Matthew. Matthew and Levi are the same person. But it's interesting, Matthew calls himself Matthew here, where we saw in Mark and in Luke, they called him Levi. But let me point out to you something kind of cool. Matthew is the, if you want to call his new name, if you will, or the name by which he goes by after he meets Jesus, after he becomes a disciple of Jesus. Matthew sees himself as a new creation, and he calls himself Matthew. And everybody else calls him that as well from that point on. It's kind of like Simon becoming Peter. If you go with me back to Mark, go back to Mark chapter 3, you'll notice that in the account of Mark, in Mark chapter 3 starting in verse 13, when he lists the 12 apostles, Mark doesn't call Levi, Levi anymore, he calls him Matthew. And when he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, that's Mark chapter 3 verse 13. He went up on a mountain and called to him those he desired, and they came to him, and he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas who betrayed him if you were to go read and we're not going to do that luke's account of this as well luke doesn't call him levi anymore either luke calls him matthew so matthew sees himself as the new creation he sees himself as the follower of jesus and matthew calls himself matthew but we realize now that the levi we read in mark Mark chapter 2 and also in luke chapter 9 is actually matthew so here's what we're going to do i actually double checked Matthew's not called Levi ever again in the Bible after Mark chapter 2 and Luke chapter 9 and the account of Jesus calling him when he was at his tax collector's booth. You can double check me, you'll never hear Matthew called Levi again the rest of the Bible. And Matthew, in all his accounts of that story and the rest, he calls himself Matthew all the time. So that's what we're going to do the rest of the day. All right, the rest of the message, we're not going to call him Levi anymore so we don't get confused. We're going to call him Matthew. You good? All right. What, what was Matthew? A tax collector. Now you probably understand this a little bit since we're so close to April 15th. He wasn't well liked. Matthew was not very popular, but nor, nor were any of the tax collectors. So you see, the tax collectors were Jewish men who worked for Rome. The Jews were under Roman occupation and the Romans exerted a lot of heavy taxes on them. And they actually would hire Jewish people to go to work for them. And not only would they go to work for them, those Jewish men who worked for Rome had Roman soldiers always with them in case there were any problems. Well, there were going to be problems because the the Romans asked the, the Jewish tax collectors to collect taxes for Rome. But here's how they set up the system. They said, look, here's what we want you to collect from everybody. And however much more you get, that's your salary. Now, the Jews didn't know how much Rome was collecting. They did know that whatever extra the tax collectors got, they were pocketing. And the tax collectors, because they had Roman soldiers there to kind of keep them from getting in trouble, if you didn't pay your tax, these guys will just gladly take you to jail. Why don't you just pay the tax that you owe? They were hated. But there was also some more stuff about the tax collectors that a lot of people don't understand. They weren't allowed in the synagogue. Even though they were Jews, even though they were Jewish men, they weren't allowed in the synagogues because they were that hated. They were considered such sinners, it's not even even worth your time going to church. You're just that bad. They were considered that bad. And on top of that, they weren't even allowed to serve uh, as a witness in a trial. If you were a tax collector and you saw the crime and you came to give a testimony, they wouldn't accept your testimony. You weren't a reliable witness because you're a tax collector because they were known to be liars and cheats and they were sinners. Yet we see that Matthew, after Jesus says, follow me, and he gets up and he leaves his tax collector's booth. We'll come back to that more in a second. After he gets up and follows Jesus, He decides that he's going to gather his tax collector friends and hold a party at his house. And he's going to invite Jesus to come so Jesus can meet his friends and his friends can meet Jesus. And while this is going on, the Pharisees and their scribes. In Mark's account, it says scribes of the Pharisees. But all the other accounts show us it's both the scribes and the Pharisees. They all look down their noses at these people. They were indignant. They were proud. They were saying, well, how could he eat with such people? These, these people are sinners. They're tax collectors. They're unworthy. They're no good. And Jesus gets wind of the fact that they're saying these things and makes an interesting statement. I'm going to read it to you again from Mark, and then I'm going to paraphrase it for you. Go back to Mark, back to Mark chapter 2. And look at verse 17. He says, And when Jesus heard it, heard them saying, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. I'm going to paraphrase this for you. What Jesus said was this. He said, Those people that are healthy and aren't sick, they don't need a doctor. It's only the sick people that need a doctor. And I haven't come to call the righteous people. I've come to call sinners to repentance. Now, before I go any further, I have to clarify what I'm about to do. I'm about to make a statement to us all that if you don't hear it and you don't receive it, you'll never be able to understand the gospel. If you don't grasp what I say to you next, you'll never be able to understand the gospel and you'll never be able to receive it. Here's what I have to say to you. You're sick. No, you're sick. We're all sick. Apart from Jesus healing us by his blood, all of us are sick. He wasn't saying there are some people that are sick and others that aren't. He was acknowledging the fact that even though everyone's sick, not everybody wants to admit they're sick. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 53. Go to Isaiah 53. Look at verses 4 through 6. Isaiah 53 verses 4 through 6. Surely he... We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of who? Of us all. Folks, if you're sitting here today and you think you're not sick spiritually, you've got to understand your, your situation. The, there are some people that actually think they're okay with God, they think they're righteous. But unless you have been declared righteous by God through faith in his son's sinless life, his son's death on the cross on your behalf, and his rising from the dead, unless you have been declared righteous by God because of your faith in God's provision for your sin, you're not righteous. As I travel around the country and speak to a lot of people, I even talk to a lot of people that go to church. And I say to them, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? You would be amazed. And maybe you wouldn't be if you've shared the gospel at all. How many people say, I think so. I think I've been pretty good. You know, we all do stuff. But you know, for the most part, I, I think when I stand before the big guy upstairs, he's going to say I'm all right. Jesus, when he said, I didn't come to call a righteous, but called sinners, wasn't saying some people are righteous and others are sinners. He was actually saying everybody's sinners and there's no one righteous. Well, where do you get that, Jim? Well, go to Romans chapter 3. Go to Romans chapter 3. We're going to read verses nine, uh, 10 and 11, and then we're going to jump to verse 19. In Romans chapter 3, look at what God says through Paul here in chapter chapter 3, verse 10. As it is written... None is righteous. And by the way, if you think you're the exception, no, not one. No one understands and no one seeks for God. Now verse 19, jump to verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, in God's sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Stop real quick, because we're going to keep reading in just a minute. The Bible's very clear that when God sent his law, it was to simply show us we can't keep it. No one will be declared righteous by observing the law of God. And a lot of people think they're righteous because I haven't done this and I haven't done that, and I think I've done pretty well when it comes to keeping God's law. No, no. The Bible actually says very clearly, way back to when God set the law up, he said the only ones that will be declared righteous by observing the law are those who keep it perfectly. If you're able to keep the whole law, James chapter 2 verse 10, yet stumble at just one point, you're guilty as if you broke it all because the law demands perfection. And there's not a person in here that could even have the nerve to try to say that they've never, ever, ever sinned but don't think for a second that you're righteous unless you have been declared righteous through faith in jesus christ you're not righteous unless you've been saved and washed by the blood of jesus and healed by his sacrifice on your behalf you're sick oh and let me just say this too i thank god that he saved me i thank that i thank god that i've been washed clean because of what he did not because of me but he's also left me in a human body that's still under the curse of sin as a daily reminder of who I was. where I might have got saved at eight years old in 1973 and stopped doing the math. I'm 58. <laughs> I might have got saved at eight years old. And many of you might have said to yourself, well, he couldn't have been that bad a kid growing up in the church, dad being a preacher and all. I got saved in 1973 at eight years old, but I can tell you this much. I thank God for my salvation, but I also know what a wretched man I still am and the things that I still struggle with, and I thank God he saved me. I don't want to ever lose sight of how sick I was. Go to Romans chapter 3, look at verse... 21, we just seen this on verse 20, by the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Did you catch that? You want God's righteousness? You have to have faith in Jesus and that's the only way there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved It's through faith alone in Jesus Christ by grace. You've been saved through faith. This is not of your own self This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God not of work so that no one can boast We are declared righteous because of faith in what Jesus did with his righteous life He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God and folks In order to understand the gospel, in order to receive the gospel, you've got to acknowledge, I'm a sinner. I'm sick. And I need a healer. And I need a savior. And I need his righteousness. And I don't have it. Jesus came to call everyone. But only those who are willing to acknowledge their situation are the ones who are going to be able to receive this gift. Oh, by the way, That's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. By the way, we're all spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are those who mourn because they're spiritually bankrupt. And then he said this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. You don't hunger and thirst for something you think you already got. That's the gospel. You need to acknowledge your sin. God uses his law just to show you you can't keep his law. And once, it actually says this in the book of Timothy, that the law was given for the lost people. It wasn't for the church. Once you've been saved, we serve in the new way of the spirit, not in the old way of the written code. The law's purpose was to show you you're a sinner. And once you acknowledge you're a sinner, you're ready to respond to Jesus and receive his righteousness. And I pray there will be people, many people today that do that. But there's something else in this story. Go back to Mark chapter 2. There's something else in this story that I can't wait to show you. In Mark chapter 2, verse 14, And Jesus, as he passed by, he saw, what well, we're calling him Matthew now, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now, it reads awful quick, doesn't it? That just Jesus walks by Matthew and sees him at his tax booth. And he says, follow me. And the guy just gets up and walks, which he does. Luke's account showed us something earlier, if you remember from Luke. The, Luke's account said he got up, left what? left everything, and followed Jesus. Now, this is kind of cool. Matthew had to have realized how sick he was. Matthew had probably gotten sick of his lifestyle. Oh, he was probably pretty wealthy, but he wasn't loving it. Because you don't just get up and just leave all of that and just start following Jesus, unless you've been thinking about it for a little while. He probably had gotten to that point where he was sick of being sick. He was part of that point where even though things were successful in his life, he wasn't happy and he realized something's not right. And then this man, Jesus, comes by and just says, follow me. And it's like a light clicked on and he was like, that's it. And he left it all. Too many of us try to follow Jesus and carry our old life with us. No, Jesus himself said, unless you're willing to deny yourself, take up your cross, which means you're willing to die and just follow him. You can't be his disciple. Oh, but here's another thing, though, I can't wait to show you here. (laughs) He never forgot what Jesus saved him from. Even though he's always calling himself by the new name, we don't see Matthew ever call himself Levi. He's always calling himself by his new name. But, but Matthew never forgot what Jesus saved him from. I'm going to show you something else that's kind of cool. If you, you can double check me later on. But if you read all the gospel accounts of the listing of the 12 apostles, and we just read one there in Mark chapter 3, uh, he's called Matthew. In Luke's, he's called Matthew, uh, and so on. But go with me to Matthew chapter ten and look at how Matthew lists himself in the listing of the twelve apostles. In Matthew chapter ten, look at verses one through four. And he called to him his twelve disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, there's Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector. Isn't that interesting? James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. When Matthew lists the names of the 12 apostles, he doesn't just say Matthew. Matthew. He says, Matthew, the tax collector. By the time Matthew wrote this, was he a tax collector anymore? No. He had given up that lifestyle to follow Jesus. He's now a follower of Jesus and an apostle sent out to preach. But when he lists the 12 apostles, he calls himself Matthew, the tax collector, because he never forgot what Jesus had saved him from. If we were to put a sermon title on this sermon and Titus asked for it, I just told him, remembering how sick we were. Remembering how sick we were. But keep this balance in mind. He doesn't call himself Levi. He calls himself by his new name. He knows that he's a new creation, yet he never forgets what Jesus saved him from. By the way, He's not alone in doing this. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. That's how Paul saw himself. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Look at verses 12 through 17. 1 Timothy 1 verse 12. Paul says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer. A persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am. Did you catch that? The foremost. But I received mercy for this reason. That in me as the foremost... Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, and the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. We got a problem in the church where we have forgotten what he saved us from. We don't remember how sick we were. And I love the fact that Matthew not only was sick of his life, he just left everything to follow Jesus. He never forgot where he came from and what Jesus saved him from. And he had a heart for the people who were still like he used to be. And he held a party at his house for all his lost friends so they could know Jesus. He didn't become a religious person who started acting like he never was that sick. He never forgot. Even though he saw himself as the new creation, he never forgot. How sick he used to be. By the way, you see David have that same attitude in Psalm 51. Even though he's King David now, he still acknowledges, I got a sin problem and I need you to wash me clean. I need you to create a new spirit within me. I need you, God. I've been a sinner since the day I was conceived. And folks, it's time that the church today, believers in Jesus, Understood we're a new creation. We don't got to live like that anymore. But don't ever lose sight of how much God has forgiven you. Because when you lose sight of how much God has forgiven you, your love for him will actually dwindle. Jesus himself in Luke chapter 7 brought that out. And he's talking about this woman who was there who had lived a horrible lifestyle. She was a prostitute and all these things. And the Pharisee said if he were really a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman was touching him. And Jesus said, Simon, let me ask you a question. He said, there are two people. One was forgiven a great debt, and the other one was forgiven a small debt. Which of the two do you think is going to love the master that forgave him the debt more? And Simon the Pharisee said, well, I'm pretty sure the guy with the larger debt. And Jesus said, you've judged correctly. Because those who have been forgiven much, love much. But wait a minute, Jim, didn't you already quote to us, James chapter 2, verse 10, that if we're able to keep the whole law, yet stumble at just one point, we're guilty as if we broke it all? Yeah. Is there anybody that's been forgiven more than anybody else? Not in the eyes of God. Folks, let me say something to you that I hope you understand. You don't go to hell for being an adulterer. You don't go to hell for being a liar. You don't go to hell for being a cheat. You go to hell for rejecting Jesus. In John chapter 16, verse 8, Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to convict the world of sin and judge, righteousness and judgment regarding sin because they don't believe in me. That's what sends you to hell, rejecting this offer of salvation, acknowledging, not acknowledging how sick you are, not acknowledging that you're not righteous. You go to hell because of rejecting Jesus. Oh, all those other sins that we commit, they just show us our need of a Savior. And that's why the book of Revelation in chapter 20 When the dead, all the wicked dead are brought out of their place of holding and they go before the great white throne judgment, all the things that they had done were recorded because they rejected the payment for their sin. So now they're going to have to pay for it themselves. But then after all of the stuff they had done, which was recorded in the books, was listed, then they bring out the Lamb's book of life. And because their name's not in there, that's why they're cast into the lake of fire because they rejected the payment for their sin, which was already made. Remember, Jesus died for the whole world. Jesus came to call sinners, and we're all sinners, so he came to call everyone. That's why in John chapter 3, verse 16, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then he goes on, he said, he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to to die for the world and save the world. And then he says, those who reject are condemned already because they haven't believed in the name of God's only Son. Folks, what sends you to hell is not all these other things you've done. So if you think you're pretty good or pretty bad, you've totally missed it. If you haven't received God's forgiveness through your, for your sins, through faith in Jesus Christ, you are going to hell. That's what sends you to hell. And you have a choice today. Are you going to acknowledge how sick you really are? Are you going to acknowledge that you're not righteous? So that you can respond to Jesus who calls you today. Matthew came to a point where he realized, I don't like this life. My life is yours not Jesus. And he just gave up everything to follow him. But he never lost sight of what God forgave him of. By the way, that's our big idea for today. You ready for the big idea? You see it? Remembering Jesus' compassion for us will increase our compassion for others. That's what we need as a reminder of how sick we were. I told you earlier that Titus contacted me on Thursday. I got to tell you the backstory. Today's an amazing day it's no accident that Titus called me today and he didn't even know what he was doing and I didn't either when he contacted me Thursday afternoon and he had no idea what God had in mind for us being here together today, this day. Again, I didn't even realize that at first but Thursday afternoon, Titus sends me a text and says, are you able to preach? I texted him back saying, yes, I'm in town. So, we began talking about whether or not he wanted me to do a different message or to continue the series. And I really felt like as I quickly looked at the passage that he said was next in the series, that God wanted me to preach this passage from Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, how Jesus didn't come to call the the, the, the righteous, but the sinners, and, he, and that those who are healthy don't need a doctor, only the sick ones do. And then while I was in the middle of this conversation with Titus on text, my daughter, Nicole, sends a text to our family in which she said this. Today, this was Thursday, the 27th of April. She said, today is the six-year anniversary of when we found out that my daddy had cancer. And then she wrote, thank you, God, for healing my daddy. Now, hang on for a second. Some of you are new. Some of you don't know this. Some of you have been here a while, and some of you probably know this. But in 2017, on Thursday afternoon, I was contacted by Titus on April 27th of 2017 in the afternoon. And he contacted me, and he said, I just heard that you were diagnosed with cancer. We had just found out that morning. He said, I want you to preach this coming Sunday. I go, what do you want me to preach on? He goes, I want you to preach on cancer and faith. Do you know what today is? April 30th, 2023. It's the exact to the day, six year anniversary of when I stood here in this pulpit and preached that sermon right after having been diagnosed with cancer. And the sermon was entitled, everything's right on schedule. Some of you might remember that message today by no accident is the six year anniversary of that. But you need to know the rest of it. thank you, guest. Thank you, Lord, for the fact that He's healed me. But you need to know the rest of the story. You see, we found out that I had cancer and less than two years to live on April 27th of 2017. But my pain started. On January 18th. I still remember the pain was so severe. I still remember the day and where I was. I was sitting in a Chinese buffet meeting with a couple of pastors for lunch and a pain happened that I thought, well, that was kind of weird. Where did that come from? And that pain never really went away. But I didn't acknowledge that I had cancer until the 27th of April. You know why? I'm not that sick. I'm a guy. Yeah, it'll go away. I just stretch a little, it'll be all right. I didn't even tell my family that I had these pains. Finally, they become, came to realize months later, something's going on. And it wasn't until I was in the parking lot at Walt Disney World throwing up that I finally had to acknowledge, I got a problem. I might need to see a doctor. Folks, let me say this to you. How long are you going to keep ignoring the signs that you're not spiritually right with God? Thank God he healed me. But it wasn't until I actually acknowledged that I had a problem that I went to seek the solution. Now, I know God doesn't heal everyone. This is not an illustration of the fact that you'll be healed. No, no, no. The Bible is very clear that God chooses when he heals physically and when he doesn't. I'm not saying that, but listen closely. There's a deeper spiritual truth to my illustration here, and that's this. If Jesus came to call sinners, and we're all what? Sinners. He came to call everyone, correct? So the sooner you acknowledge the signs that you're sick, the sooner you'll seek help. Oh, and by the way, he has promised that this spiritual healing isn't just for the few that he may choose to heal physically. This spiritual healing is available to everyone. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Too many people try to take the passage where we read it earlier in Isaiah 53 about by his wounds we are healed, by his stripes we are healed, and they try to say that that means Jesus will heal everybody physically if they have enough faith. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches clearly that his healing us of our wounds and his healing us of our sickness is a spiritual condition. Folks, if the teaching of the Bible was that if you have enough faith, you, God will heal you of all your physical sicknesses, how come everybody's dying? Did they run out of faith? No. The Bible actually says that this is tied to our spiritual condition. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. This is spiritual sickness. For you were straying like sheep. Didn't we read earlier, earlier in Isaiah 53? We all like sheep have gone astray but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Folks, God did this by no accident. He's orchestrated this, and as things started to come together between Thursday and today, the more and more I got excited about coming to share with you. Take it from someone who has been healed physically to illustrate the truth of being healed spiritually. You won't seek help until you acknowledge you're sick. Oh, and once you acknowledge you're sick, there's only one cure, and that's faith alone in Jesus Christ, through his blood, through his death, his resurrection. Oh, but for those of us who have already been healed spiritually, don't ever lose sight of how sick you were. Live in your new name, but don't ever forget what Jesus has saved you from. Because If we remember Jesus' compassion for us, it will increase our compassion for those who are still in the condition that we were. Do you understand? That's one thing that I actually thank God for. There's many things I thank God for for my cancer, but one of them is this. I have compassion now for people that are going through chemo and radiation. Some of you are sitting there going, what kind of cancer did he have? It was non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I went through unbelievable amounts of chemo and radiation. Don't want to have to relive 2017, but let me tell you something. I don't act like I never had cancer. Even though I've been healed, I don't act like I never had cancer. It has given me compassion for people that are going through that right now. Because I remember what it was like to be there myself. And when we allow the Lord to remind us of what he saved us from, it'll increase our compassion for those people out there who don't have it yet, who don't have the healing. Folks, too many of us are sitting there on the, in our chairs watching the news and watching the television and seeing what's going on in the globe and complaining about what's happening on the world and, and the world's going to hell and, the, and everybody's so wicked and I'm not that way. Mm. Oh, for a church full of Matthews who are willing to remember that, acknowledge I'm a new person, But I'm never going to forget what he saved me from. And I want to open my house to those who are in the condition I used to be. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you now that what you've done today has come to this point. And you have purposes in mind for those that are watching online, those that are here, people that have shown up this morning. Most of us not having any idea that Titus wasn't preaching but that I was. And Lord, that you had this all orchestrated. And we now ask By your spirit's power and grace that those whom you are getting to that point where Matthew got. Where they're just saying, I don't want to live like this anymore. I need healing. I need a savior. Lord, that today they would leave everything and follow you. And for those of us, Lord, who we can thank you for the fact that you've healed us. Father, forgive us for forgetting who we used to be. And fill our hearts with your love for the lost. Make us like a Stephen who would say, don't hold this against them. Lord, they don't know what they're doing. Even as those people, those unbelievers were killing him. Lord, too many of us today sit again, like I said, in our homes waiting for the day when judgment's gonna come on the wicked. That's not your heart right now. That's not your attitude. Forgive us. May your attitude toward the lost be what it's supposed to be today you'll take care of your judgment day when that comes but right now we're in the age of grace fill us with your spirit so that that grace may be experienced by those around us who are still sick we pray this in jesus name